A poem is a small machine made of words. William Carlos Williams. Welcome to the Small Machine Talks, exploring the poetry scene of Central Canada and beyond with Amanda Earl and A.M. Kozak. And we're back. So let's. Uh, so we're about to talk about Guillaume Morissette's book, The Original Face. But before that, uh, here again is, uh, is uh, his bio. Guillaume Morissette is the author of New Tab, a finalist for the 2015 Amazon.ca First Novel Award. His novel, The Original Face, which we're going to be talking about, is published by Vancouver Press. Was selected by the Globe and Mail as one of the best books of 2017. And I, I have to say, we haven't met, we haven't interviewed anyone who's had a book selected by the Globe and Mail for anything so far. I don't. Think. That's I, a lot of pressure. That's a that's lot, a lot of, of pressure. pressure. He he still lives in Montreal, so that's. Uh, and we should a, say, in case you're just joining us, that I am Am Kozak. Amanda Earl is here as well, and we right. we obviously have Guillaume because we're going to be, um, you know, grilling him with questions about his, his novel. Well, Aaron, good is, cop, bad cop. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's <laughs> I will be the, the basically. I'm never a cop. I, I'm only ever. You know, <laughs> I'm never on that side of the fence. Why don't, why don't you tell us a little bit about the book? All right, let's uh, from from the Vehicle Press website, just to show that I didn't make this up. The original <laughs> face is a novel about the gig economy. 29-year-old Daniel is an underemployed internet artist who's struggling as much with money and inspiration as he is in his relationship with Grace. Against a backdrop of a digital economy that rewards online platforms instead of content creators, with climate change anxiety hanging in the air, the resolutely contemporary Morissette immerses readers into a year of modern love as Daniel and Grace navigate their aspirations, insecurities, and ambitions amidst a culture obsessed with selfies and identity. A fresh and imaginatively critical examination of work and life in the 21st century by the author of the cultishly popular New Tab. So that's uh, that's the original face. And now with questions, here is Mr. Am Kozak. All right. Hello. Hello, everyone. And uh, Guillaume. What's up? Uh, I have some questions for you uh, about your novel, um, if, if that's okay with you. Yeah, do it. You ready to go? If yeah. we said no now, we'd all be in yeah, trouble. Yeah, yeah. very short. Pack interview. up and go home. All right. Be interesting. Just be, just be merciless. Like, all right, all yeah. right. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a, um, you know, a few sentence long question here, and it'll be a merciless uh, long question. All right. <laughs> so on page 173 of your novel, Daniel, which is the main character, says, "I don't know how to have a norm. I don't, I don't know how to have normal life goals and do the art thing at the same time. I have no idea if I'll be ever be stable." Part of me thinks maybe it's better that way. And on page 215, Jane says that she has been growing resentful of how boring stability is. In addition to these two artist characters kind of shitting on stability, at other times it seems that artistic passion or creativity for characters in the novel has been replaced by an anxiety to achieve a consistent self-definition. Like on page 11 where it says, trying to create art videos is now a source of anxiety as opposed to an outlet for it. And now we're now at a time where it's been long enough for internet nostalgia to exist. Like on page 75 where Daniel says, I thought about the late 90s and making a website for the first time, how freeing and exciting the internet had felt back then. I wasn't sure when creating things had become a type of pressure. And on page 37 it says that post-internet art often employed a nostalgia as novelty approach. So that is a long preamble. My question for you... I was going to just say before you said that, for those uh, following along at home, you should have copies of the book open yeah. so that you can actually go to these well, pages. That's, I wasn't going to, I thought it was kind of, you know, clogging up the question of those pages, but I was like, yeah, maybe they do want to, you know, read along. Turn to the yeah. page. Yeah, so exactly. We, so, yeah, there you, there you go. 
Um, so is, is there something ironic about longing for a return to the internet or how we interact with the internet? Or is it just a part of where society has led us? Um, I'm not sure ironic is the right word. Mm-hmm. But I think you're always going to have uh, a sort of um, imagine the past as this kind of like beautiful, safe, mm-hmm. um, uh, sort of uh, remember only like the positive right. aspects of it and then forget kind of like the shitty parts. Because mm-hmm. uh, the novel, like the like romanticizing early internet aesthetics, it really comes from sort of finding it um, that aesthetic, finding it like cute and harmless, Mm -hmm. but not remembering that like some of the like part of what the reason why the internet looked the way that it did uh, back then was because it just hadn't been really optimized. (laughs) So a lot of things just weren't working very well. Like you were just basically using the tools that you had at your disposal and doing the best you could with them. Uh, And so, and it created this aesthetic, but there's something really interesting to me in seeing uh, so uh, or this there's something really interesting in this yearning for early internet aesthetic mm-hmm. and what you imagine as being early internet aesthetic is actually the limit point of the technology it's like it's when mm-hmm. you see the technology kind of breaking yep. like um uh, we all remember sort of old, well, maybe depending on your age, uh, but most of us probably remember like early GeoCities pages with kind of like a bunch of yeah. GIFs and then yeah. sometimes like GIF would be broken and everything. But so there's something fundamentally broken about the technology, the way that it's working, but it's still what we remember as the aesthetic years later. And it's the same thing with, you know, old Nintendo video games. Like what we remember is kind of um, sort of the limit, the... Um, limits of the technology like the way that you know the sound processor can only do mm. x amount of sounds and created like these uh sort of beautiful 8-bit melody but sometimes it would break in horrible ways we all remember uh so blowing into cartridges and that's another way of and but uh, blowing into cartridges became now it's almost it's not uh it's almost like we remember it not as a failure of technology yeah. but as an aesthetic of the era yeah and so there's something really interesting there to me but i don't know if you know this love uh, of the past and this romanticizing of the past in the novel as this kind of like sort of more naive uh, time uh, where in the same way that uh, in a way sort of that era was like a little bit more naive but it also felt like the realm of possibilities was greater mm-hmm. um, but I'm not sure that's like um, an ironic love in the book as much as kind of like a useful sort of uh, trying so uh, it feels like the way that the internet exists now mm-hmm. is that the realm of possibilities is kind of like narrowing us yeah. down into like we all need to have sort of a, a Facebook account that's tied to our real world identity. And a smartphone with yeah, apps. Yeah, exactly. The app is where all the a lot of the technology is being developed now as opposed to really the internet in general or or even computers. It's all in the it's all in the, the smartphone app. So do, do you think then it's not but idealizing a certain time in our life so it's not that it's you know millennials idealizing you know that that kind of technology that was existing when they were younger and more naive it's just that we're idealizing the sort of 
limits that were with the technology, but within those limits, we had or saw more potential. Yeah. Does that that's make a, sense? That's an interesting. Yeah. That's a good, I like that. I mean, I think we're being funneled right now into uh, a space of possibilities that's narrower. So, and it creates like these incredibly high stakes in our lives. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, uh, I, there's a, this journalist that uh, asked me questions for an article that he was writing about smartphone addiction. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm not even sure if the term addiction is the right term in this mm -hmm. case, in the sense of, is it an addiction is it, or is it because it's the only way you have to survive in capitalism because yeah. so much of your income right. is now tied to maintaining a good reputation online, yeah. maintaining a good system. Like you read about- And being uh, constantly available, right? Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. And then you read about sort of in China, they're implementing a system that directly ties sort of your um, choices as a consumer and um, the sort of presence that you maintain online with a type of like reward system. Oh, God. Uh, and <laughs> uh, it, it sounds like this nightmarish dystopia. But it's so invasive. It's yeah. become so invasive. Well, we're not yeah. even that far from that. Like yeah. we can be punished yeah. so easily. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it's even worse than that, where it's like, you can be so uh, my position is with social media right now, it feels uh, there's don't get me wrong, there's like pros and cons to everything. There's mm -hmm. tremendous benefits to yeah. social media, to being able to propagate your work for free, to being able to sort of meet new people. Like I've had, I've made uh, yeah. excellent friends. I've had like events, like literally the reading that I did in New York uh, this weekend, the people came that, there. Yeah, yeah, came from there. It's all um, mm -hmm. people that I've met online uh, and writers that have become friends with through like social media or other venues. And, but at the same time, um, it really feels like like it's almost like we all have nukes aimed at one another's heads and then you can do like tremendous damage yeah. to someone else's life um simply by kind of you know i'm gonna use and it's the problem that's happening that's really uh, exemplified by american politics right now yeah. but it's also presence everywhere it's the problem of information yeah. like what happens when there's too much information right. or when there's uh, fake information yeah. propaganda which the uh, propaganda always existed but it wasn't yeah. as easy to get to spread it as mm. it is now right? yeah and then so. uh books also have like this problem which is this is a complete tangent but there's <laughs> okay, a way i'll bring you to... back on with a we question love later yeah. tangents yeah. here let's, it's a good Please tangent, do. though. Do. Okay. Um, do you guys know the video game Metal Gear Solid 2? I know very, I don't know, like five video games. Okay. <laughs> That's not one of them. I do not know that. No. As a text, it's actually really interesting because mm. it kind of speaks of this era of uh, information overload. Mm -hmm. uh, and you could also tie it to book publishing in a weird way mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. uh, it speaks more directly of sort of like sort of filtering information online and what's real and what's not in the sense of like in the game, basically you play as this uh, protagonist that's being constantly sort of um, encountering contradictory information and uh, being deceived by other characters ah. and being betrayed and uh, being told one thing and realizing that no actually it's something else yeah. and having kind of like um, being given an objective and when you get there the com situation changes completely mm -hmm. and so this is, from, this is a game Sounds from 2001 like yeah. uh, and, <laughs> but it really anticipated uh... this sort of era very well yeah. uh, and I find that with book publishing there's a similar problem mm. which is um, this use of hyperboles to yeah. hyperboles to sort of market books mm -hmm. and it creates a situation yeah. where you really don't know you're really not too certain okay what's going to be worth my time and what's just going to be like it's kind of this you know yeah. average book i saw in the back of a book 
um, my son was reading uh, yesterday. It was like, if you're a feminist, you need to read this book. Yeah. And I'm yeah. thinking like, no one needs to do read you? It. Like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like, but yeah, I, I think like, yeah, it's what you're saying. And uh, this is accelerated by, um, so uh, publishers online, uh, so media companies that publishes articles online are incentivized because of social media to publish insane clickbait. And yeah. so you get these like um, the hyperbole aspect of like that comes from for book publishing that comes from the blurb form yeah. as extended now to clickbaits. So I'll give a, a really good example, uh, which is um, I don't know if you guys know Darcy Wilder's book. No. It's called Literally Show Me a Healthy Person. I actually really enjoyed reading it, so I don't <laughs> want to shit on Darcy's book. I'm going to shit on uh, like a clickbaity kind of headline. There yeah. was this headline, I think it's oh, yeah. from the Village Voice, and it's like, uh, <laughs> it just said like, Darcy Wilder reinvents the novel. And <laughs> it's like, I, you know, I like her book. Uh, I think it reads, it's but it very interesting. But it reinvent the novel. Reinvent it's the novel. Big... I'm not sure I'm getting to that, but I understand <laughs> that the Village Voice to get clicks, it sounds yeah. better to say it reinvents the novel than to then... say Darcy Wilder, really funny like that's yeah. so that should be enough but yeah people need to have a revolutionary thing or they won't yeah they won't pay attention so it feels to me like there's a connection in this kind of era of like exaggeration yeah. and uh and now we get away from that there's this book that's called uh, world without mind uh and it talks a little bit about that it's like mm -hmm. uh, from this man that's a little bit older he's probably in his 50s or something uh and he talks about like um uh, having seen journalism change over the years and getting into this era of like everything being um, sort of becoming uh, about like number of clicks and number of like and making it it's popularity yeah exactly and then he talks in the book about um, having this really great art critic and like the world-renowned art critic and giving him sort of assignments and stuff and then if you actually look at the number of clicks that these columns generate it's just it, the so by those metrics, um, the if you only judge by number of clicks, like the art critics columns would be uh, sort of considered frivolous. Yeah. Uh, but and if you consider it by, you know, uh, interesting observation, like right. engagement with the work. And timeliness, uh, maybe. Timeliness. Yeah, timelessness, I'm trying to yeah. say. Timelessness, yeah. Part of it, I wonder, is it, so we need to over-exaggerate for, for more attention, but is it also that there's so much information out there that we only have so much time to access all of it that these things that are more surface level are just like uh, immediate stimulation, whereas with the headline, it's just, well, it's just easier for us to sort of engage with because we don't have the time to spend delving into those really critical articles that take 45 minutes to read and process because there's so many other things we want to read and that are kind but of But then people repeat us. the headlines because yeah. that's what they, they think. Okay, if I just say this about the book, for instance, then I will, yeah. people will, it's, it's sort of like to get crit, cred, you know. You will, oh, no, I, I agree. Yeah, and I, yeah, I, I think, spread it around. And I think what's happening and is, is that we're just becoming more and more surface level or fragmented and, and the depth that's happening is it's just harder and harder to find. We're doing it to ourselves though. Yeah. Have you, there's a, uh, an episode, you know the uh, TV show, The Orville, uh, Seth MacFarlane, uh, I guess is the guy, it's a, it's a kind of a take on a Star Trek type uh, shows. And uh, there's one where they actually, they go to this world where everyone has to wear this little buttons. And basically if you, you, if you don't like something they say or something they do, you rate them down and mm -hmm. they get clicked on. And then they, that's how their democracy, that's how their democracy is run. That's how their, their legal system is. They can basically be yeah, punished if like they a... receive 
you like said. an episode of Black Mirror was like yeah that yeah, too. yeah so it's a great episode actually I mean Black Mirror is interesting to me that's that's yeah. interesting that you bring up Black Mirror uh, it's one of the few things in society right now that's like trying to look at the darker sides of yeah. technology and uh, some of it is like ham-fisted yeah, some, ex- so some episodes are more yeah. successful than others that first episode was a bomber for me so I never got past it <laughs> that, was a weird, that was a weird one well, it was weird and it was also a snore so yeah. I'm sorry I was bored season to death season 3 episode 1 everyone says yeah. if you can just get to season 3 I'm like well if it can't win me just in the go first, right to it if I you mean, can't win me in the first I need my instant gratification you're yeah. not doing your job <laughs> I mean, to be fair they're all different so yeah, you yeah, could it's a love whole one episode but I hate yeah. other ones uh, but I mean, I find that so tech companies, uh, I find are especially people that are working inside. I find that they don't want to think about sort of the dark potential dark mm-hmm. sides of what they're working on. And so I was at this talk, uh, this tech talk, uh, this is a while ago, maybe two, three months ago. Uh, and it was people that were talking about autonomous vehicles and like, um, I almost wanted to be so there was someone that was talking about autonomous vehicles another one that was talking about big data and someone else mm-hmm. that was talking about AI and I almost wanted to raise my hand and being like okay so which one of you is going to kill someone yeah because it's like they're not they're always going to be like this kind of again like this sort of these hyperbolic statements where yeah. it's kind of like you're going to be able to, it's going to reinvent you know uh, we that's won't it. need parking space in cities anymore. That's You're just going to order a magical electric car that's going to come pick you up and then yeah. take you somewhere else. Imagine if uh, at the when the atomic bomb was being worked on, they had uh, social media. Yeah. Imagine how, uh, you know, yeah, <laughs> imagine the uh, hyperbole associated with that and then yeah. the responsibility, you know, attached later on when, uh, you know, I mean, the people who were responsible for developing that actually... Uh, you know, distance themselves from it, right? They they mm. felt they felt guilty about creating it. So yeah, and the same thing yeah. happens with Facebook now. Yes. You see, like engineers that are kind yeah, of like, yeah. no, do not, don't. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did you have a thought to finish, or do you, can I can I uh, transition into a capitalism question? Yeah, no, Ooh, go for capitalism it. Ooh, capitalism question. Capitalism. Yes. <laughs> <Unfavorite> topic. <laughs> on page two hundred four, capitalism and social media. Yeah. Uh, on page two hundred four, Eloise, another character in the novel, types. I am also starting to get pissed off the way people brand themselves on social media. And on page two hundred five, she continues. We're not just being marketed to nonstop. We've been given the tools to market ourselves. We live in a dystopia of marketing. Other parts of the novel mention marketing art as well, such as when Daniel says that his approach in life was to try to manipulate society into giving him money so that he could afford to do art on page 108. And uh, poet Phoebe Wang had a good tweet about something similar on November 12th when she said, success in the literary world is embedded with the same top-down hierarchical structures within capitalism that tempts us with another rung to be scaled, a more prestigious publishing house, another prize, a bigger piece of the pie, another prestige token. If artists are self-branding and controlling the presences and identities using online platforms, is that just an alternate form or stand-in for the capitalist structures that artists are theoretically struggling or fighting against to become artists? And if we participate in this branding, is digital reality an alternative structure the artist can survive in as such, or has monetary capitalism just been replaced with a different type of digital capitalism? Mm -hmm. Uh, So this gets into, for me, this gets into... um, so the way that the internet is set up uh, in regards to how capitalism functions with it, it's kind of a winner-takes-all economy. Mm. So it means that a few at the top it can have, so if you have like a big enough social media presence, mm-hmm. you can find a way to monetize it in some way. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you'll be able to kind of um, find a way to earn money via, I don't know, your writing or your creative endeavors. But for one person who uh, is able to make a living, you got, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds more that are, you know, 
putting just as much content out there and mm -hmm. then struggling to make a dent. Uh, and so it's sometimes tricky, like who gets to climb up to the top of the mountain. It's not always a meritocracy. Sometimes right. uh, there's sh shortcuts that are taken by some people. There's you can um, buy followers. Yeah, you can you buy can? followers. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, <laughs> you can luck into sort of, of a celebrity you retweeting you. Yep. You can. There's a million things that of can happen. Of course, you can buy follow. I didn't yeah. even think of that. I'm so naive about this stuff. God. Or you can even work yourself to death. Like there's yep. this. There was this article about like uh, gamers on Twitch that like have to stream for like, you know, 60 hours per week or something. And there was this uh, uh, 25 year, I think he's 25. I can't remember exactly his age, but I think it's probably something like that. But he was talking about like, um, literally like gaining weight and then his foot sort of uh, <laughs> like, uh, you know, uh, from just sitting down yeah. so much, like getting sort of foot problems and all kinds of other, oh, yeah. and it's like literally this is a job that should not exist, yeah. but yeah. because your options are either a uh, getting uh, you know a normal job, quote unquote, uh, within the system that's gonna, especially in the U.S., that's gonna probably take advantage of you, not mm -hmm. treat, not give you a fair salary. Uh, maybe you'll have like. Um, Maybe you won't get like even a full time schedule, mm -hmm. all kinds of other shit that are happening or, you know, try to circumvent the system and make it on your own by being uh, I'm going to just, you know, make money by playing games on Twitch and mm -hmm. try to find a way to monetize that. But, you know, with something like that, it creates this thing where um, you have like zero uh, sort of vacation time that are building yeah. like union so protection and anything like that. Interaction. And you're basically rewarded for killing yourself on camera. So. so is it almost like hyper capitalism then is it because it feels yeah. like it, it seems like there's an illusion of control and we're, we're, we're with 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 social media with with working online is that we oh we have so much freedom but with the structures that exist you have to go over and above whatever the next person is willing to do in order to really unless you get lucky like you said to really achieve that so it's almost like we're we actually have less control in some ways yeah um i think where i'm trying to advocate for so uh, especially with this book like it deals with a lot of you know freelancing and mm -hmm. uh, internet art and stuff yeah and to me i started thinking of the book as this kind of uh, tip of the iceberg mm -hmm. like what i'm interested in talking about as well is also the bottom of the iceberg so the novel as kind of um uh, characters that experience this sort of hyper capitalism uh, this like late capitalism that feels like capitalism on steroids yeah um but there's also all these issues at the bottom that are interesting to talk about as well. They're so, kind of hidden in in like sort of what we think we're what people are experiencing. So exactly. Yeah. Um, and I, in talking about the book, I also try to advocate about what I would want the internet to become, which is uh, so I think we need to get a move away from uh, centralized servers and centralized corporations. So uh, you know Facebook. Google, etc., owning all your data and basically having control of your entire life. I don't think that system works at all mm -hmm. uh, because mm -hmm. it gives, just gives biblical power to uh, Facebook. They can, yep. uh, and even something like YouTube that rewards content creators by giving them money, uh, it, there's also kind of like a lot of um, uh, problems with that system where they can decide for whatever reason, like, you know, our algorithm is going to punish you now, or uh, we're going to demonetize your demonetize your video uh, for X Y reason. We can decide arbitrarily, which yeah. don't like you, which is going to bump you from the platform. They have more so, power than a government would. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so the internet that I want to see happen is instead of it being a winner take all economy, I'd like to move toward like a more decentralized internet where you have more control over your data and who can use it and who can make money from it. And 
so um, there's stuff like uh, blockchain, which is this emerging technology uh, that's sort of gaining steam. The problem, so blockchain is really promising. At the same time, there's VC money that's moving into that direction. Uh, mm. And so it's kind of like, are we going to end up 10 years from now with a different internet, but that's going to replicate some of the problems Sorry, that we have now? V VC money? Oh, venture yeah. capital. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's not a slam dunk either, but it's really interesting in terms of um, sort of potentially allowing you to have uh, a central identity, which would solve a lot of the problems of the internet. Like right now, the internet is set up as since you have no central identity, then um, you're basically almost like creating a username, password, whatever for different yeah, platforms. Every single platform, yeah. yeah, and it creates this thing where you're essentially renting space from these companies. Right. So your data doesn't belong okay. to you. Mm -hmm. It's your data is kind of stored entirely on Google's platform. So if I understand this correctly, you're advocating for a system that's more instead of creating like alternate, you know, identities that are renting space from these large companies, it's more that we just have one identity and that's kind of like a way of decentralizing things because that one identity can have more ownership over the content that is creating. Is yeah, that correct? That's pretty much it. So uh, there's something that's like Blockstack, which is that is this internet browser that runs on blockchain. Right now it's in sort of development, but they're getting good funding and they've sort of classified themselves as I think um, it's a, a, a it's like, I can't remember what the classification is, but it's like a corporation with a social mandate. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's not quite a nonprofit, but it still retains sort of, uh, mm. they can't just, you know, whatever. Anyway, um, the idea behind it would be that like, uh, basically instead of having, um, when you browse the internet, instead of having like, uh, okay, Twitter, like what's the latest data that appears on Twitter? Right. It would be like Twitter asking you, okay, what's your latest data that you've given me? And then asking all the different users and then repopulating a kind of Twitter through that. Mm -hmm. So it would mean it would give you more control over your data. It would mean that you'd be able to price your data and be like, you know, I I'm not uh, comfortable with selling my data to advertiser unless you give me like, you know, X amount of money for it. So, um, but this is all still very theoretical, mm -hmm. but it's an interesting space to watch because it kind of addresses some of the concerns that I have with right. the internet as it currently is. Uh, but ultimately I would like it to move to a place where uh, we possibly like engage in more micro transactions with one another, but we all make more revenues from uh, having our data sold to advertisers. Um, There's a really good, a good way to sum it up would be, um, there was a Jeremy Corbyn tweet from I think a month, two months ago. And it was kind of like, imagine Uber, but if Uber, instead of being belonging to a corporation that owes whatever to shareholders, it belongs to the taxi drivers themselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, they just kind of share the profits. Yeah. And that would be like sort of a way that you could use a blockchain for doing something like that. Okay, cool. That's not, I never heard of that before. That's uh, really yeah. interesting. Um, maybe I'll move into the next question. That's okay. Let's do it. The next ones are a little bit, uh, they're not quite as long paragraph. So that's, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like to use a lot of examples. Um, <laughs> so in the metaphors or similes that Daniel uses, physical things are often compared to digital things. So for example, on page 22, it says fine translucent needles were coming down from the sky in a screensaver like manner <laughs> as if the screensaver, the digital thing preexisted the physical thing, the sky. So the physical thing is compared to the digital thing to make sense of it. So do you think, uh, has the physical, uh, sorry, has the digital become the original? And does that relate to the original face, which is the title of the novel? Is Daniel's and Millennials' original face a digital representation because he's born into a world that already has the internet? Yeah. Um, so 
to yeah so i feel like it might be helpful to talk about the original phase at this point so the original phase comes from zen buddhism it's a uh zen cone that basically the simplest there's multiple ways to use it but one of the simplest uh example of it is um what did your parents face look like before you were born Mm -hmm. and it's meant to make you think about uh non-duality and um to make you understand that before you didn't like pop up out of even if you think of yourself as an independent person Mm -hmm, uh, you mm -hmm. didn't kind of like appear out of thin air uh the sort of atoms and molecules that create your body and ultimately uh sort of enable your consciousness in some way uh they came from somewhere and when you die they're gonna re-exist in some other form um and in the novel uh daniel the protagonist uh who uh starts sort of dabbling so basically a roommate that he has uh has like a collection of zen buddhism books and he starts Mm -hmm. reading them at random and uh sort of starts thinking about stumbles on this concept of the original face and sort of thinks about it through the novel so his interpretation of the cone kind of changes and he starts um drawing uh, inspiration from it for uh his artwork and uh for me i think i saw this aspect of the novel less in terms of digital versus physical and more in terms of so in the world that we live out, uh, capitalism, especially late capitalism, ex- exerts tremendous amount of pressure onto us. Right. And um, a lot of what it's telling us is go faster, do more, be more efficient. Like there's a mm-hmm. kind of weird sort of social uh, feedback loop yeah. that comes from sort of encouraging one another to always be doing more. Like yeah. it's not just kind of... Um, I'm just, you know, chilling at home, doing nothing today. That's frowned upon. (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, I'm posting about, like, you know, I went to the beach with, you know, my friend, whatever. That's it? That's all? That's what you did? Or I traveled or... And of course, social media really encourages us because we just see people's highlights of when they are doing things. Yeah, it's a curated, it's a curated... Curated reality. Yeah. Yeah. Reality, yeah. Yeah. And so, but at the same time, yeah. uh, And um, one of the only texts, I mean, I don't like some of the equation of, you know, being a white man and a straight white male and sort of getting into... Uh, this kind of a cliche about yeah. being a straight man yeah. and going into yeah, yeah. like Zen Buddhism. You said the, the novel, the character says in the novel too, I, I, yeah. if I remember correctly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, but at the same time, uh, it's one of the only texts that I found because uh, I started reading that was telling me to be less and be nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I found that message that's just so important uh, yeah. and so useful. And so I started reading sort of Zen Buddhism stuff. This is just personal life, but I started reading sort of Zen Buddhism stuff as a uh almost like you would read uh life advice books mm-hmm. or self-help books we'll read it like yeah that. and um i just found that you know i i like sort of zen masters uh like their sense of humor mm-hmm. um i like um I, I, there was kind of like just these incredible life advice that was um so distilled in uh just a few words and so mm-hmm. some mottos from zen buddhism have become mottos that i try to 
uh, use and reuse in my life. Well, and in the 60s and 70s, that was very popular. So books yeah. like Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance became popular. I have one called Zen Guitar, for instance. Yes. Yeah, Zen Guitar. Zen Guitar. I'll, yeah. I'll bring it out and show you. <laughs> Even now, okay. like a, a very common, like, um, I don't know if you call it a treatment for anxiety, but something that I would go doing when I did crisis meditation. intervention was meditation, but also um, mindfulness, which I think mm -hmm. comes from Zen Buddhism as well, yeah. being present. And it's, it makes a lot of sense in yeah. our, in our hyper early capitalist world. There's so much pressure and yeah. anxiety to do more that this return to the, the present moment and mindfulness that, that we comes from We need to hear philosophy. that, yeah. Yeah, it's we very important for us. So, sorry, go ahead, Guillaume. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly it. I mean, there's just something comforting about someone telling you, no, no, be nothing. Yeah. Be like literally nothing. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, you can live as simply as possible. You can appreciate the imperfect. Mm -hmm. You can, uh, and to me, at least, I found myself so... It kind of goes into a personal journey as well, where I, so before living in Montreal, uh, I live, uh, this is my early 20s, I lived in Quebec City for mm. a little bit, and I just wasn't very happy there. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of friends that I had there were kind of like competing almost with one another and to like sort of getting into the situations where we're gonna buy things, we're gonna prepare for having a house and whatever. Yeah. And I remember getting sort of sucked into a little bit into this, mm -hmm. but, and kind of trying it out for myself and realizing I was just really bad at having things. And when I moved to Montreal, <laughs> like that. really bad at having things. A title of another novel. That's <laughs> forthcoming uh, or essay collection. Yeah, it's a good essay um, collection. But m when I moved to Montreal and I started sort of moving from apartment to apartment to apartment, sometimes like twice, three times per year, uh, just having less things became naturally advantages. And uh, after a while, I kind of realized that no, I'm actually happier when I have like less stuff. I don't worry about it. I it's can, easier to mm -hmm. run. It's easier to leave if you don't have a lot exactly. to carry I can with just you. Exactly. Literally choose to set my entire life on fire and yeah. move to Japan yeah. if I yeah. want yeah. to. Yeah. Uh, and so I kind of find that freedom very liberating, and that ties really well into sort of Zen Buddhism stuff as well. So I don't know. I found in that, and that's kind of what I was trying to illustrate with the novel a little bit as well. To return to your original question, mm -hmm. uh, this kind of um, putting sort of some Zen Buddhism stuff uh, in conversation with sort of online language and kind of like that online reality. And now there was kind of like something very wise and something very interesting, at least to me, uh, to draw from there. And so the digital physical thing. It's definitely present in the novel, but honestly, if I'm uh, on it, like I honestly get the sort of reviewers make mentions of that in the book. And to me, it's not even something that I notice. It's literally right. just ways that I, in general, express myself. Like I'll compare kind of, uh, you know, sensations that I have to something that reminds. So I just naturally spend a lot of time uh, on my computer. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so you know, it became part of my imaginary vocabulary, mm -hmm. referencing things like like my uh, previous novel is called New Tab, uh, but it really become yeah. like this kind the, of the yeah, browser. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, well, but, you know, the screensaver line is something like that as well. Uh, and so it's not serious. A conscious effort to juxtapose these two things. That's probably even more interesting, actually, that it's right. become so well, so much part of yeah, your and, subconscious yeah. that it's does it's not something you did with intent. Yeah. And if I may, the next question I have is is kind of an ex ex further exploration on exactly what you're talking about right now. Cool. And, do it. Uh, page one fifty seven. Daniel says, "My trick is I don't have a body." And on page one twenty four, <laughs> he says, "I watched my post about the video accumulate likes on Facebook. One hundred and twelve likes. I thought, reading the number in my head, 
I am 112 likes. That's a good line. Yeah. When he spills hot tea onto his laptop, Daniel says that he didn't even care about his leg and was more concerned about the computer on page 102. And looking no. at work in an art gallery feels a little like scrolling through Tumblr to Daniel on page 59. And then when he, he says, there's so many examples. He says he sees Eloise on Instagram all the time on page 110. So references like this that, yeah. I, that I would say blur the physical digital binary. We can talk a little bit different, different terms if you want. They're seemingly endless. Um, one other one I really liked I want to mention quickly is Daniel compares the attention to detail in Ashlyn's mom's house to the way he crafts his social media presence online. So he's comparing <laughs> people's physical lives, like in a house, to his digital life, like another person's physical life was equal or just as real to them as his digital life was to him. Yeah. So this comes back to the question of, do you think the essence of reality uh, right now has changed or are we just becoming more aware of it? And have our, have our bodies or whatever, our physicalness or whatever, have been replaced by our social media presence or social media profiles. Has that become a replacement for what we would have we would have thought about our bodies before? Uh, I'm not sure they've replaced it, like, but at the same time, I could definitely feel that they're merging. And mm. this is definitely, to me, it seems inevitable that we're gonna move in this direction. Uh, there was this talk that I saw by, I think someone from Google, but he was talking, his way of presenting it was to talk about it as no longer, we used to think of online and offline. Now mm. it's and not, it's, yeah. The, and we're not quite there yet, yeah. but as we move in the next like 10, 15 years, uh, his word for it was on life. On life. And it Ooh. becomes this thing where, you know, you no longer can, you, there's no longer this sort of, before it used to be very simple, you just sit at your computer and mm -hmm. that's your online life and, and then you get you, away from it yep. and more we move uh towards having you know ai assistance yeah. which is going to come the watch now the apple watch yeah. which tracks even your 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 you know monitors your heart and your blood pressure and everything mm -hmm. kids mm -hmm. are tracked on with it with you know their yeah. smartphones and then, i mean look at virtual reality too as we're getting into like it's not just in games now yeah. but all kinds of other things too i remember playing the sims years ago and i had it set up on a i was at work and during lunch we had it on a big projection so it was on the wall and someone came at, came into the room and said are you hungry i said no i just fed my guy some pizza i'm yeah. fine it's like what that's not <laughs> what i meant <laughs> so yeah it becomes it, it it's now less about separation as it is just it's an extension would you extension say? yeah yeah um and some to me you can't escape the physical like it's always going to tie back to the mm -hmm. physical uh these things are going to become intertwined but uh, there's stuff in the novel as well about like climate change mm -hmm. and wondering if you you know want to have children and uh, yeah. if that's a good idea or if there's already enough human beings uh, and it really comes from um, so it's two things so the climate change stuff in a novel was a way for me to tie it back to the physical even though you're right like there is kind of like a lot of sort of in intertwining of the real and the the digital and physical but um, the so the club stuff about climate change it's so strange to me that this is something you you know you're going to read about online you're going to watch like vice documentaries and it's always yeah. like doomsday news but it ties back to something that's not you know uh this like imaginary you can't close a browser right. and just escape from it um you can't log off from yeah you can't log off you from can't climate log change. off from climate change there, there you go. go there you go mr trump there's your there's your uh, <laughs> your quote your tweet <laughs> you might try but you can't log off <laughs> um and yeah, so I don't know it. Yeah, so yeah, I don't know. <laughs> does that make well, sense? Yeah, it does. And this, this my my next question was pretty similar, so I'm gonna skip the preamble and just say, so you don't think we can erase this the 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 our, our, our digital presence, our internet self? Is it? 
is the decision then to the to say delete all our social media accounts to to try to log off to try to opt out is that the new like sort of existential crisis that the new existential plight where we decide you know not to to live or to not live it's just to do we want to participate in social media or do we want to try to log off and try to opt out is that kind of become the crux decision of our life now yeah sort of i mean so if we had uh so it's useful to right now especially in north america it feels that way mm, but right. it's useful yeah, right. to remember yeah. that it's in context. europe they have better privacy laws than mm -hmm, we do mm -hmm. uh and it's possible for example to get google to take out like uh, a search result that uh you no longer want to pop up when the q name comes up and you know one problem we have right now is that literally you know uh, I can, it's so strange to me that, you know, uh, I can go for, uh, I don't know, like, uh, if I'm meeting a client or something and then they Google me, uh, cause I do like freelance writing, whatever. But, uh, if they Google me, then they can see, you know, essay that so why you can use so, your initials instead of your first name. There you go. <laughs> Smart. No, I don't I, think that helps that much really. It helps yeah. a little bit, but is anyways, it? we won't. That's uh, why it does it. Okay. We always wonder why. A big you... reason. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But, but it's strange because it's kind of like does so just from a broader question uh, if for example you're going for like a job interview and your employer can look at your facebook yeah. and see what kind of friends you have and it just feels that's and, you very know, invasive yeah it is it's you know i'm not blaming the employers for doing that because they have the option mm -hmm. to do it um i think it's useful to um think of so if we have better privacy laws it's possible that you'd have another option beyond like just you know uh, deleting all your accounts or staying online and staying in the system. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's possible as well that some of the blockchain stuff that I talked about earlier is okay. going to address some of these issues by giving you more control over your data. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, so um, that definitely feels like sort of a next step for the internet, being having like being able more to... More control, individual yeah. control. Because okay. it can sabotage your entire life. Oh, like it this, can, um, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you guys know John Ronson's book. It's, yes, uh, yeah, the public shaming, the book on public shaming. So, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, he, there's this story about this woman that mm -hmm. kind of like as a joke, uh, I can't remember what it is. I think yeah. it's either the American flag or like a, a monument for veterans, something like that. But it's her just giving the middle finger to it, and it was as a joke. That was and, it, yeah. And it conservatives just, just like, and this is random woman on Facebook who's yeah. just trying to have fun. Uh, it was just like a joke for a friend mm -hmm. and stuff. And then like now, if you Google her, like her name just comes yeah. up. And so there's these uh, corporations that exist, these companies that exist now that are like reputation management oh, companies. God. And wow. it's like applying a Band-Aid on top of a broken system. Yes, on top yeah. Of a, yeah. So you would say then you, you can imagine a, a future, a f internet future where we have more control, where um, our, our, our choice is different. But uh, which is very possible. I, I don't know. The, the the dystopia that I'm imagining is kind of the opposite, where we just have less and less control, and that once there's any information about us on the internet, it just kind of exists Literally. in perpetuity, in perpetuity yeah. and it's just like we have no. It's just out there forever, and we can't just go and say, "Google, please delete this." It's just mm -hmm. who knows it's where it's going to get copied or, or it's where it's going to exist. So there is no really way to say, "Okay, I'm out." So yeah. Once you're in, you're in. You exist forever, mm -hmm. you know, in a weird way. But, and if you've been on this podcast, that's exactly the case. No. Yeah, yeah <laughs> and, exactly, right? And, and the thing is that uh, if we let bullshit companies like Facebook or yeah. Google do whatever they that's want, what's that's, gonna that's what's going to happen because yeah. it benefits them. Like the only, their yeah. only reason to it's exist is to make yeah. more money, sell advertising, sell and have much privacy. control. 
uh, over us. So if Facebook can tell the US government, um, and this affects us, even though we're Canadian, this affects us because it has a ripple effect. So even though we'd like to be, okay, la la la, US politics, don't really want to think about yeah. it, it's kind of a disaster. These decisions, because they're tied to these internet giants, yeah. and in other ways as well, uh, they still end up affecting us. So, you know, US politics being uh, almost well, I don't want to say comically, but like cartoonishly corrupt yeah. uh, with money uh, still affects us in some way because yeah. oh, Facebook absolutely. can lobby itself into, uh, you know, preventing sort of regulation from happening. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, so it, it seems like uh, they're going to push in that direction as much as they can. Uh, but, you know, I'm not sure we're necessarily there yet. And so there's still time to, to push back again. Yeah, to it. push back and to prevent that from happening. Is, but it definitely feels like it's moving in that direction. Is it a, so to, to push back? Is it possible or useful to just like you know not go on Facebook and try to find a different alternative way, or is it we can't even really get there because we don't have like the power yet to, to do that? Um, I mean, so one problem is that uh, you know if I had you know if like let's say tomorrow morning i won like the giller prize or something and i got like a thousand a hundred thousand dollars i joke on twitter that like one of the things that i would do would be delete all my social right. media accounts right. mm -hmm. and that gives uh, you more power because you have more yeah because then you have money so you can afford to not be on social media yeah. but right yep. now because uh some of my income is tied into yeah. being on social you media have to have a presence and there. having a network yeah. and yeah. uh you know then yeah it creates this catch-22 where it's like i'd love to leave social media tomorrow morning mm -hmm. i i'm actually not drawing pleasure at all from mm -hmm. being on social media with the exception of there's two things i find sort of uh being invited to events that otherwise i probably would have yeah. a harder time keeping up with i find that useful and being yeah, able to connect with part, random people yeah. uh but other than that it's a, it's like it feels, yeah, it feels like a garbage fire where it's just yeah. like... Yeah, it's a dumpster fire for dumpster sure. Dumpster fire, yeah yeah. yeah. yeah, that's right. I find it's the only... But I find sometimes it's the only way I can find fellow misfits and I have yeah. to find that's them. True. So yeah. so that's how I that's how I look at it. But yeah, the rest of it can be can be pretty scary. You, yeah. you had an interesting... There was an interesting part in the novel of uh, how one of the characters... I have the question somewhere, I'm not going to search for it. It's... Yeah. it's <laughs> uh, they said something like, uh, sometimes I think it'd be better to create anti-content to to you know get rid of more of this content do you That's i thought that was interesting it's like do you think that kind of sort of editing or like taking out things is is a, is more or not participating in the artistic or or, or participating in social media yeah. at all is more is more creative in a way it's more of a statement to say you know what no instead of writing more and creating more of this artistic content that seems to be everywhere is it better to just, or is it more creative to be like, no, let's snip it away. I'm not going to participate in this. It's kind of this glitch idea. Yeah. yeah. You've got in here. I Related mean, to question three, it's on the Ah, there we go. This is a person <laughs> that I know that like um, was telling me um, that like, oh, she really likes this guy. He doesn't have social media. It's so mysterious. And oh, yeah. that becomes like this kind of cachet. And so it's this weird yeah, like yeah, anti. Yeah. I mean, in the novel, there's this part where in that part where they talk about the anti-content, they also talk about like, what if instead of being sort of posing on Twitter as like, you know, oh, I'm this artist, whatever, I do this and this and this, if you just posed as a completely normal person and you're like, I have a job, I work 40 hours per week for the government or right. something. Some people do that. Yeah, <laughs> there there are people who it's... write like that. I mean, okay. But then it becomes like, that's how you stand out. 
Because yeah, then if yeah, everyone yeah. else is what they're doing is, uh, you know, right. making themselves super available and posting all their content <laughs> online, if, you know, what you're doing is, and that's that's part of the um, Elena Ferrante phenomenon was that as well, like her being unavailable <laughs> yeah. and just blowing people's Until mind. Until her, her, uh, her pseudonym was uh, revealed thanks yeah. to social media, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, there's also uh, Faria Rosen, who's like this online writer, uh, Faria's very good, recommended essays, uh, but Faria, there was like this headline recently, it was like, this, you know, uh, writer uh, is a sensation and she doesn't have a phone, and it's like, <laughs> right, right. wow! This used to be not the unusual thing, it was more mm -hmm. the norm, yeah. yeah. But if you can find a way to sort of live in, uh, sort of, if not having a phone doesn't penalize you in the context of capitalism and you can still mm -hmm. sort of find a way to survive via, I don't know, maybe you've accrued a big enough network that you can go without it and yeah. you can kind of just get by with email, uh, then, um, you know, and it becomes part of your identity and becomes part of your, uh, but it's so weird to me that it just all, like it's the same thing as the line that you pointed out earlier, like the marketing thing, mm -hmm. where it all ties back to, it just becomes more marketing for you. Yeah, we need to succeed enough at social media, people to get off social media. We need exactly. to succeed enough in yeah. capitalism to get yeah. away from capitalism. That's, that's, that's the ultimate winning social media, is just uh, not being on social media. Yeah, it's, it's, it's honestly, yeah. it's so fucking depressing. Yeah. <laughs> it's so awful. And this is why we drink whiskey as we were yeah. doing today. Hey, some of us, not all of us. Sorry, sorry for the bum. It's yeah. okay. No, yeah. When I, I was that's your book, job. That's my job. You're well, a writer. I, when I read the book, I was very. It was like it was. There's a lot of connection to it because I can relate to a lot of these things. But it's also like, oh man, like, <laughs> it's a lot of your reflection you're doing. As we like, didn't talk about Daniel and Grace's relationship at all much in the, in, at least in the questions. Yeah, I, I mean, we could talk about Newfoundland as well, which is so the book is set in Montreal, Toronto, okay, Newfoundland. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, Newfoundland is like um, this. I, I I called it uh, with someone else. I was calling it. I described it as like a Viagra for writers. It's, kind of, it's just this magical place you can go to, and you're gonna sort of stumble on awesome stories. And I kind love. Of like, I've never been, but I see it as a Shangri-La. I, I always I always put this out there. I will sleep with anyone from Newfoundland. I just, <laughs> their accents are like Irish pirates. I love it. Every time I hear a Newfoundland and their stories, I mean, God, yeah, it's the yeah. only problems the I've screech. never been to. Well, I haven't been there either, but uh, I don't like either flying or boats. So yeah. They have to come here, you know. That's do tell you us more I, about Newfoundland. Uh, do yeah. you mind if I ask you, Aaron? Because yeah, you ahead. read the book. Like, what did you think of the the Newfoundland chapter? The Newfoundland chapter, um, it felt more. It felt like that was a chapter where there was um, like a change of stasis in the character. There was something going on psychologically. It felt like there was. It was almost like a digression a little bit from a lot of the themes that we've been talking about. So I don't know if I actually picked anything out of that chapter to ask you about for mm -hmm. that for that reason. It felt like. Um, I don't know. It felt like um, the Daniel. Oh, you have that here. You said um, you said something about um, it's in related to question one. Oh You've yeah. Got, um, let's see. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you got yeah. there. I don't guess it's not necessarily relevant. Well, it's um, it's it seemed like Daniel when he went there, he was realizing that you know the the reality that he was encapsulated in was not just reality everywhere. That there were places like Newfoundland that existed that. You know, it may be in his bubble that competing on social media or whatever was or existing on social media was like the normal thing to do or, or going on your computer was the normal thing to do. But there was a whole different sort of thing where people were having babies and having a different sort of like competitive, quote unquote, competition with each mm -hmm. other. So it seemed like um, but it also was like an interesting parallel to 
like, is that really any different? It's just like a different type of, you know, capitalism, if you want to call it that, or a yeah. different type of lifestyle. Um, so I don't know. I thought it stuck that chapter. There's three chapters. It stuck out the most to me as being the most different for sure. And that mm. there was the most change. And I was actually kind of wondering that chapter is like, oh, is it going to be some sort of change, a fundamental change in the character that he's not gonna really going to return to? Um, I'm not going to ruin the book, but um, I, I don't know what I what I came out of it at the, at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think you're right in terms of like it adding this sort of like, uh, I don't know, it feels like a fish out of water sort of chapter. Yeah. And but I think it adds interesting. To, yeah, <laughs> within Newfoundland. You yeah, are exactly. A, a cod out of water. Yeah. Whatever. But I think it adds like this sort of different perspective that wouldn't have been there otherwise. And it fuels um, sort of uh, a lot of thinking moving forward. Um, but, you know, I think there's there's character moments in that chapter that I think are really useful and interesting. So for me, it's yep. like it's probably my favorite character, my favorite chapter in the book, mm -hmm. even though it's the one that's least related to the internet or least related yep. to. Well, it's a kind of a contrast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So but like it almost feels like you know, throughout the chapter, that chapter he's going through internet withdrawal, where it's just yes. kind of like I wish I could. <laughs> like, yeah, it seemed like he was um, wanting to retreat back into his online identity. Starting to miss his email inbox, wanted to browse Tumblr, feel satisfaction just from performing the repetitive action of scrolling. And there was some, yeah, there was some good parts about. Um, that kind of withdrawal yeah exactly withdrawal <laughs> so yeah shout out to newfoundland uh the relationship in the book is so it starts as a relationship like they're already sort of six months in mm -hmm. uh and i how just did they meet um it's in the book it's presented as um they met through friends of friends okay so, so they didn't meet online that's uh, no. i was trying to establish that whether or not no but i mean uh so Basically, uh, a friend of Daniel, uh, the main protagonist, uh, Jane, uh, she she's also sort of an artist and mm -hmm. she's friends with uh, this character named Ashlyn, who is friends with uh, Grace, who becomes Daniel's partner. Right. So it becomes this sort of... Circle uh, of friends. Yeah. So it's not true, like Tinder or anything like that, but... Um, I wanted to skip the whole, I didn't want to do like a courtship thing. Yeah. I really wanted to have like a stable relationship and show that, um, you know, uh, how something like uh, freelancing uh, and, you know, wanting to make it as an artist, yep. um, which are the two sort of main uh, focus Trends, for yeah. Daniel, like that's what he's striving towards and that's what he's trying to do. Uh, they impact everything in his life, yep. including sort of the relationship aspect. And now, um, because, you know, lack of job security, lack of everything else, it makes like totally sort of what would have been very banal sort of life goals, like we're going to, you know, get a house and we're going <laughs> to uh, try to have children. I could make that sort of seem like this impossible fantasy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I know a lot of people that uh, because of, you know, capitalism, the way that it's set up at the moment, it doesn't feel like it feels like uh, my generation and people younger than me, it feels like we're going to be poorer than yeah. our parents were. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and it, it kind of creates this um, sort of <sighs> scenarios where we all amass into cities, which is where jobs, primarily tech jobs are. And then we all end up staying there, paying outrageous rent, mm -hmm. not being able to really save money, and then just giving up on kind of like life goals. And uh, yeah, so I really wanted to kind of tap into that reality. And I wanted to show how sort of like uh, just the economic reality, like Daniel's economic reality, like he's very thrifty throughout the novel, like he's very careful about how he spends money. Um, and I wanted to really show how it put tremendous pressure on the relationship and how those aspects are 
sort of interrelated. Do you think it's possible to be um, an authentic artist or an artist um, in, in the type of climate we have right now and not be experiencing instability? How, can, can an artist really capture the moment that the right now that people are experiencing with without a sort of that instability of uh, lack, lack of economic instability or relationship instability? Do they have to sort of be embracing that or involved in that to sort of, I don't know, create? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, so... I mean, you can draw from anything. Right. So, uh, like, a lot of what I do is just kind of sort of take, um, like, so um, the novel definitely draws from real life. It's not semi-autobiographical or autobiographical. It's not a memoir, but at the same time, it definitely draws from, like, real life experiences. And so a lot of it is that, is just taking sort of things that I felt anxious about or things that I felt strongly about or... Um, and just trying to make something more positive out of it. Uh, so it taps exactly into that. It's taking that instability, that economic instability, and trying to make something that's like more useful out mm -hmm. of it as opposed to just being powerless against it. Mm -hmm. um, but um, if, you know, I had like, I don't know, some sort of imaginary wealthy parents that uh, sort of deposited money in my account every month or something, uh, and it kind of removed this economic anxiety, uh, I'm not sure it would completely deaden the art in the sense that I'm sure I could find something else that I could feel yeah, yeah. anxious about or involved with. <laughs> we can all find something to be anxious right. about. But, but it, could, it could definitely potentially deaden it if you just kind of... Um, sort of i don't know like i wonder if a good example of that might be so this might be unfair but an interesting example to follow that might be like ruby core mm -hmm. where like to see if sort of exactly that like having financial stability and financial success is gonna end up like affecting her work where she won't be able to draw from the same place that she used to draw mm -hmm. or if her work is gonna start being read not as like an underdog sort of mm -hmm. writing an every person every woman sort of person but as kind of like someone who comes from a position of privilege now yeah uh, well, that's the big question though is is art better when when the artist is starving i mean like it probably depends on the artist right i mean you know, i mean honestly i want to give sort yeah. of, i want to be fair and yeah. sort of believe that anything's possible that you can tap into yeah. something you know vital even though you're you you yeah. know uh you don't necessarily kind of like uh even if your bank account is i, I want to believe for my sanity that like even <laughs> if your bank account isn't sort of screaming at you yeah. like, do something well, uh that you could still sort of find something else that feels human I th I th and alive i think you can one one issue i've had was since i've had a, a stable job for you know the past four months or so is that do I feel like a bit of a, it's it's a very different feeling for me, but it feels mm -hmm. like it's almost like, I don't know, am I the same person? Do I, can I really identify the same way? And it's like my entire life up until, you know, four months ago, I have not had a stable job, right? Yeah, and it's so. just like, can I really tap into that same, or am I, if it's a fake now, am I a different person now? I don't know, I don't know what the, what the answer is. Or well, something that maybe I'm that to... tension is something worth exploring creatively. Oh, and like though, you right? said, there's other things you can write about, of course, but is it, does it change your identity when you, if, if, if Daniel were to get a full-time career-oriented job, Next would book. it change his fundamental <laughs> identity in his ident identification as an artist so what he thought of his of his art or art creating or would it just be like oh this is just me now and now it's that's now i can imagine because it is what it is but yeah i, I don't know what the answer is i mean and, that's and kind this of must happen too with some like with people who have become successful like someone like mm -hmm. stephen king might not write the same kind of way or, or may, maybe if charles bukowski you know he was always sort of struggling in a way but um, you know i mean you do um 
if you, they do sometimes they do become successful and yeah. they still I don't know how they feel whether they feel they're sold out or whatever yeah, I don't even know how to do with exactly success exactly just stability of financial yeah. stability whether it's from their art or whether it's from you know just doing another yeah. career yeah, yeah I mean knows. ultimately it comes down to um, sort of it's not just a question of like how much money is in your bank account is how much time you have to actually create things exactly so you know yeah, that's sometimes Sometimes, you know, like if quitting your job is going to enable you to write for like six months and then you're going to be broke again. But at the very least, like you're able to kind of like feel fulfilled creatively. Six and, months, yeah. And like uh, then maybe it's a gamble worth taking. But uh, it all comes down to, you know, uh, the danger with financial stability, especially if it comes from like a non-artistic place, is that it can kind of buy you out over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you Where, can settle sometimes. Yeah. It's a settling as opposed to a fight, like feeling like you need to once, fight. Once you've had a taste of financial stability, it's very hard to go back to sort of um, yeah. kind of scrap and yeah. claw and like feel anxious about everything. Absolutely. Being someone who's in a, in a financially stable for now position, yeah, I mean, I don't have to worry about uh, financial stuff. It doesn't yeah. make me, I have lots of time to create. There's the flip side of that though, you also talk about in the novel, is that if you're struggling constantly, that sort of initial energy you got from creating art and that enjoyment of it can be replaced by an anxiety to create because yeah. you need to create because now you're sort of dependent on that. So like, I think it can go in the opposite way too as well exactly. is if yeah. like, okay, now I don't have financial stability. I'm going to be an artist and really live this out, this lifestyle out. But that can be detrimental, not just financially and, and mental health wise, but can also just like, I, I'm so crippled by it that I can't actually produce any worthwhile or not worthwhile, but just interesting content. At least yeah. to yourself, yeah. you may yeah. feel and, that this isn't the kind, like you might have to make value velvet paintings instead of the you know yeah. pointless stuff you'd really mm. prefer or something right so um i so last thing I, I would so for me one of the um questions that the novel is asking and actually it'd be interesting to just ask you guys yeah. what do you think of this but basically is art as it exists right now being an artist whatever mm. is it self-destructive mm. that's yeah i was i got that i was wondering the same thing yeah <laughs> what, what do you think I think that the way the maybe the viewer or the audience sees art might be as wanting to see a self-destructive tendencies. Maybe because we're when we're reading art or we're wanting to connect with it, we're commiserating, where we're we're wanting to have that experience or we're relating to that kind of experience. Um, does it have to be? I don't think it has to be. But I think that maybe it is just like a like a reflection of our, our current um, economic system where there's so many people struggling that in order to really to show the reality of what's happening, the artist has to be struggling. Perhaps that is true. Mm-hmm. But I don't think in, in essence, uh, the artist has to be, you know, self-destructive. But I think there is a huge tendency to be. I think um, there's an there's an issue with uh, the need to be popular that social yeah. media brings out in us. And I think that that is, uh, that is uh, dangerous for art. I think to live outside in some way of the mainstream is very difficult. Mm-hmm. And I think that I think that art um, is t- if you if you're sort of in a world where you feel you have to please, we're in a, a literary world. We're in a very award culture. Yeah. Uh, I think those things are. Um, sort of trying to find that place where you're an outsider like for me i have to feel if i feel like i'm part of the crowd i can't i have trouble create if i and i care too much about what people think Mm -hmm. then i then i will i will write shite 
So yeah, I feel you ha I have to be outside of, I have to feel, and I'm not really much of an outsider, I think, but uh, I try to find um, freaks and misfit and outsider art to relate to, to support, to, in order to kind of be away from the mainstream. I even find some of the capitalistic attitudes about creating art for money. I mean, I know people have to survive, but I find it all very um, much, like if you go on something like Patreon, if you create anything that has any kind of erotic or sexual content at all, you're in trouble. So there's a lot of trying to make everything conventional and not shock that I'm worried about. Mm. And so, what, do you, what do you think about that? I'm not sure yet. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, not, I yeah, mean, sure. personally, still, if you look at my track record, it feels like just speaking of only me, uh, mm -hmm. my answer would be yes. But if you look at just art in general, I kind of want to believe that there's a way to make it work. But mm -hmm. it is. We, we have to. We have to believe that. Otherwise, we might as well stop and just keep drinking until we're, <laughs> we're unconscious. Yeah. So I, I think well, this I is. A good note to end. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you have anything you want to say about the novel or any? No, that was pretty good. Thanks so much, guys. That was awesome. Uh, and, and the original face, I'm sure, is available in in all independent bookstores. You can, if it's not, you should order it. Even in corporation. Yeah, bookstores. even in corporation bookstores. Uh, the best part is there's a part about Indigo in yeah, the novel, there you and go. then uh, the it's sold in Indigo now. I don't think they've realized <laughs> this yet, so it's great. There you go. They, well, they, if they if everyone's if they're making money from it. Yeah. There you go. And, and they're yeah, selling, ultimately they don't care. It could be called Indigo sucks, and they would just be like yeah sure they're smell selling the matching scarf as well in the yeah. purse with the yeah, and the <laughs> freshly scented candle that smells like the original face <laughs> all right guillaume wonderful to have you hope you're enjoying ottawa and, and by uh, then you'll have had a really good reading in ottawa and you will all have been very so, welcoming yes. <laughs> all right well thanks for joining us and uh, until next time we remain the small machine talks thanks guys small machine talks with Amanda Earl and A.M. Kozak. <laughs>